0: The first letter of the church in uh, Revelation two. Remember, it was the church of Ephesus. How many of us either watched it or you were here? Um, if you don't, you can go on YouTube and you can uh, you can uh, go look under my name and and uh, Joel Bremer, and you can find it. The first thing there is my page, and you can catch up. And it really is. I would say it's one of the most important things to talk about as a church globally around this community around is to remain faithful to God, but that he would be your first love, that he would be the first thing, that you would love him like you did at first. Because my story, I said it last week, but my story is I I, I thought I was gonna win the world world for Christ. And somewhere along the line, when I was in college, I was a youth pastor at the same time in college, and uh, I started doing ministry and doing things because I felt like I had to. And I lost the love, I was doing the ministry, but I wasn't remembering who I was doing it for. I was doing it for God. And uh so, Revelation 2, and so the first letter is to the church of uh, Ephesus, and I want to kind of review that because it's such an important thing. This, the letter that we're going to talk about today to the church in Smyrna, it's a little bit different. In fact, if I were to receive that letter, I, I would want to shred it or burn it. Don't take that the wrong way, but I don't like, I the message is like, you know, um, you know how you get like, here, good news, bad news, but sometimes you go bad news, bad news, right? Like, which one do you want first? You want the bad news or you want the bad news? You want the bad news or you want the worst news, right? I don't like when that happens. Like, when my boss, which I rarely see, my boss is in Lewiston, but the first thing he says is, you got to straighten that little can right there. And I'm like, good morning to you too. I love you. Want to hug? Go Seahawks, because he doesn't like the Seahawks. But um, the thing is, This is such an important thing in this. The point of the message was this. Return to your first love. Interesting. Ah. Sorry. I don't know. It is return to your first love. Everybody say return to your first love. Return to your first love, okay? That means, like I said, go back to the beginning of your relationship with God and love him like you did then. If you go up to me and say, Pastor, I don't think I've ever loved God in in a way that he's first. There's another sermon right there. We're not going to talk about that today. But for most of us, when you first became a Christian, I mean, serious, you you loved him so much and you're like, I can't get enough of him. I want to spend time with him. So how do we do that? We talked about worshiping like we did at first. When I worshiped at first, I didn't care the style of music. I didn't care about if it was hymns or choruses. I didn't care. Even though I was part of a church that was great, there was a little bit in the 90s, a worship wars type of thing where there was a generation wanted to do this kind of song and the other generation wanted this kind of song, and there was a tug of war a little bit. And I remember just thinking, I feel like we're missing the point of this entire thing. Like we're fighting over the style and I and I went, I just want Jesus. I want to lift him, the name of Jesus up. And I want to go back to that. Then, how do you return to your first love? You go into the word. Everybody say word. Listen, it's as simple as this. If you're not reading the Bible, you're not going to be returning to your first love. I can prove that because I've lived it out. Okay, I know when I haven't been close to God, and it's the times where I struggle to open up the Bible. The third one is Witness. And this is an important one because you have a story to tell. I've heard some of you guys' have stories. You say, this is how I used to be, this is what God did to me, and this is where he's taken me. And you have a story to tell. You allow Jesus to change you so much that you go up to the people around you, your family, your coworkers, your spouse, your neighbors, and for somehow you fit in Jesus, what he did to you what he did for you, how you're changed, how you're different. And the first thing you got to do is you got to allow him in to your heart. And so that's what the last week's thing is. And so it's vital. It's vital that you do that. So today we're talking about the second letter. And uh, it's this church in Smyrna. Hayden, can you sit up here really quick and change? And I I don't, you got it? And uh, thank you. Never mind. False alarm. You're off the hook that I don't I don't have time to look at that little plug-in but it says it's the letter of the church in Smyrna and I love this one because the point is and you'll read it and you'll go it's all bad news how can you say what the point is when I read it it says remember God's faithfulness do you know what the bible says about when we're faithless what is God still he's faithful even when you're at your worst God is still faithful to you, period. You can't do anything to change that. It's who he is. It's, he's constant. He's faithful. Even when we're faithless. I want you to think about faithful as something that's full of faith. I mean, go to the root word of that. And faithless is like, I don't, it's faithless. I don't have enough faith. God is faithful. He's full of faith. So when we're going through this, this is actually a very important topic remember that that's today's title is remember God's faithfulness here's if you want a reminder of the map in the 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 area and i I went on another map and you know what that you know what the location is that these towns are actually called what that section of area it's called Lydia I like that it's the whole area is called Lydia and I like that I looked at' it, I'm like oh that's cool I knew that but I had to rem reminded and uh I want to move there, right? It's not called Lydia anymore. But um, as you can see, Patmos is this island that's right off the coast, and that's where John was put on this island because he wouldn't die. So they said, let's just get rid of him. Then he's reaching these churches: Ephesus, Smyrna, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamum, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He's reaching these these good churches. They're all doing good things, but they need some of them need correction. All of them need encouragement. All of them need encouragement. You guys keep going. Don't give up. And so, let's read today's text. It's not really that long. So, Revelation chapter two, verse eight through eleven says this: "Write this to the angel, or the messenger, or more than likely the pastor, the messenger, the guy who the guy who is standing in front and reading the letter to the church. Write this to that person in Smyrna. Okay, if you pretend you are part of Smyrna, I like to I like to involve myself in the story." Okay, you're in you're in Smyrna, you're right on the coastline, beautiful area, a little poor, but you're fine, you're, you're used to it, and all of a sudden, Jesus speaks to you through the pastor. He rolls up the scroll, the scroll and he says, this is what Jesus says to our church. He goes, the one who is the first and last who died and came to life again, he says this. Who's he talking, who is saying this? Who's the first and the last? Jesus, who died and came back to life again? Jesus, okay? So you know, when you're listening to this, you gotta lean forward a little bit. You gotta take this to heart. Because some of us, you're gonna be reading this and going, that's for me. Again, this was not just for Smyrna because Smyrna got this letter personally, but they got the rest of the revelation as long, they, they kind of went around the churches, all the seven churches. Then it went to different churches and they collected it for all of us because it's for all of us. He goes this, I know your troubles and that you're poor. You're like, okay, what's next, God? Are you going to do something about it? Okay, you're going to take away the troubles? You're going to make me financially rich? That's what I would want. If you're having troubles, how many of us want the troubles to go away? Okay, you have trials, tribulations. Take those things away. He goes, I know your troubles and you're poor, but you're really rich. (laughs) We're gonna talk about that minute, but I don't like when I'm at church and some preacher goes, you guys think you're poor, but you're all rich. If you drove to church in a car, you're rich. How many of us have ever been to a church that the pastor said that? I hate that. It's like, I have a car, you know? And and they're not wrong, but I'm like, here, Dwayne, you feel poor? Stop complaining, you're rich. You're like, okay, we'll get into that. But you really are rich. I know the bad things some people say about you. How many of us have ever, you might not want to raise your hand. How many of us have had unfair things said to you, about you to other people, usually behind your back? Never happened to me. Ever, ever, ever. Oh, yeah, I wish it hadn't, but, but I know the bad things some people are saying about you, Church Smyrna. They say they're Jews. And maybe they're Jews in name. Maybe they're Jews in their location. Maybe they're Jews with their ethnicity, but they're not really Jews. They're not true Jews. Why? Because they're a synagogue that belongs to Satan. In other words, these are gathering a people who, the synagogue, it's like church. It's like, it's, it's the people. Okay. It's not just a building. You're not going to synagogue. They are the synagogue, the people, the Jewish people. But he goes, you know what? They're not really Jewish people. They're not my people. These people belong to the synagogue of Satan. You don't want to belong to the synagogue of Satan. Okay? Back. Oh, wrong way. There we go. Belongs to Satan one more. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Hold on. I don't like this already. I know the troubles that you're facing. Okay, good. Now he's going to Now he's going to change it. Now then he goes Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Wait, I thought you said I was suffering. He goes, there's more. Bad news, bad news. Okay? Because it's, it's, it's nice. Don't you, the people that you know that are closest to you, don't you feel bad that they're going through troubles and there's nothing that you can really do to make it better? You want to be able to just go in there and take away the problem, problems. And I kind of feel like that here, it's like, oh, because, oh, by the way, you're going through rough times hold on, buckle up, you're having more, okay? He goes, the devil, I tell you, the devil will put some of you guys in prison to test you, and you're going to suffer for 10 days. Some of us go, what's the big deal, 10 days? Try suffering massively for 10 days straight. It just piles upon piles. In other words, a lot of them are going to be in prison for 10 days. Most of them are going to go to prison for 10 days and die right after that. How do I know that? Well, look. He goes, but be faithful even if you have to die. Okay, some translations, be faithful unto death, which I like the sound of that. Be faithful unto death. I don't care how the, what he's, what Jesus is saying. He goes, he goes, I understand what's going on around here. I understand how bad it seems, but remain faithful even when you have to die. Why? Because if I, if you do, I will give you the crown of life. I want you to imagine for just a moment, you pass away. You, you, you close your eyes and you wake up instantly. It's like instant. To be, to be without this world, you're in Christ, okay? You're with Christ. You wake up, you come up to Jesus, you bow down to him, and we'll talk about this crown of life in a little bit, this crown that he puts on your head. A crown of life. I don't know how that would make you respond, but to me, I'd want to even worship him even more. But he's given me this crown of life. This, it's a crown of victory. It's a crown that you made it. You crossed the finish line. If I have Jesus doing that, what else do I need in life? And then he goes, he says something that he says to every church that's in Revelation 2 and 3. Everyone who has ears to hear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And then each church has their own individual little tag at the end. Those who win the victory, again, think about crown of life, and then take about talk about victory. Those who win the victory will not be hurt by the second death. You won't go to the lake of fire. You won't go to hell. You'll have victory in Jesus, and you'll go to heaven, and you will not have to experience that second death that some people are going to have at the end of time. Now, again, when I was reading that this week, because I get excited about the Ephesus one because even though it's a very serious one, what did Jesus say about the Ephesians with they were not to go back to their first love? What was he going to do for that church? He's going to go into the church and he's going to take their lampstand. In other words, I'm you're not going to be a church anymore. You're not mine. You're not mine. So it's a very serious one, but I go, let me go back to that one because I got a little excited. This one, I, re- I read this over and over and I said, I don't even know what to say about it. Like if I gave you a letter or an email or text or I just plain told you I got some bad news I heard and I know you're going through rough times but trust me sister brother it's not going to end right now And, and not only that but you might go to jail for doing what you're supposed to do in Christ and they're going to threaten to kill you if you don't renounce your faith in Christ but for some reason God says to remain faithful even unto death and you're like and then, oh, let me roll the scroll up. Okay, that's it, the end. Love you, Jesus, it says, right? And you go, I don't, that's horrible. But you know what? I was reading that and uh, it is depressing. They didn't do anything wrong. There is, this is one of the two churches that don't get any correction, right? The church in Ephesus, they lost their first love. This church, what they're guilty of is having bad things happen to them, Right? How many of us have ever had bad things happen? To be honest, some things that I have bad things is because I'm an idiot. The second way that I have bad things happen to me is something I didn't do. It's unfair. People say bad things about me. You know, all sorts of different things. Maybe you're poor. You, You don't have enough to, you have more months at the end of your paycheck. I've been there. We've been there. And so I understand. It's like, why? Do I, so they didn't do anything wrong. They've What wrong has been done to them. So what do you do? Now, the church in Smyrna is going through troubles. They're financially poor. People are saying bad things about the people in the church. Good or bad. I mean, if they deserve it or not, I don't know. I was looking at Smyrna The town and the the church, they were called the persecuted church. That's what they're known as. They were the most persecuted church in the ancient world. If you look at all the churches that are mentioned in the Bible and the ones that are in Revelation, the ones that are in Paul's letters, if you look at all these churches, they are the poorest of churches. They don't have money. Some of us have been part of churches like that. Okay? Some of them are going to jail. Some of them are going to die. How many of us wouldn't want that letter from Jesus? Hey, I know you've done good, but I've got some bad news for you. Now, I was trying, I was trying my hardest to think about what, what in the world can I really say about this? And the Lord kept bringing back to me as you read it, you'll, you have to kind of go and read it for the whole thing of it. And there's only one thing that I can come to conclusion. The first letter we said, return to your first love. The second letter, the point is, I am faithful. God is saying that. You go, well, I thought it said, be faithful unto death. It does. But if you look at the entire letter, it's very short. It's four verses. If you look at the ver- if you look at all of it in total, you will see that what God is communicating to His persecuted church, to the people who are struggling, to the people who don't have two pennies to rub together, to the people who people gossip about, and you can't change, you know, some people are just gonna believe gossip. I don't care what you try to do, they're just gonna believe it, right? And you're miserable, and you're not doing well, and you know what? He's saying, He goes, church, you can keep your eyes on all these persecutions. You can keep your eyes on all these trials and you can be miserable and horrible and you could be like just depressed and down. He goes, but remember something God's saying to the church, the persecuted church. I am faithful. We'll talk about why that I'm saying this. And I want to talk specifically about, you don't have to raise your hands or if you're online watching this, you don't have to say this, but I'm going to talk specifically to people who are going through something right now. Or you've been hurt in the past. And you need healing. Man, we've been talking about this with the men's group on Wednesdays for a long time that some of us, if not all of us, have things that we've dealt with a long time ago. And it impacts us even to this day that God, we need to allow God to heal it. We need God access to those areas. And so if you're going through a trial right now, or if you have something, a trial that you went through in the past that you cannot forget, it's it's ingrained in your heart and in your mind. It's literally... Branded into your brain, you cannot ignore it. What needs to happen in all of us is we need to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. In the middle of that, you are suffering, there's gossip about you, you're just plain miserable, maybe you're poor, you're financially how many of us is it fun being poor? Is it is it fun to have not enough money? How many of us have ever been poor? You are poor, or oh, and and uh and It kind of brings out anxiety, not kind of, it does. Where are we going to get that? How are we going to pay for that? Uh, uh. And everybody's like, just trust God. And you're like, okay, I'm trying, right? So remember, Jesus never said, blessed are the poor. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, this is, I don't believe in the, I don't believe that God just gives you, here, here, here's a thousand dollars. Here's a million dollars. Here, just have it, have it all. He's not like Oprah. Everything under your seat, there's a $1,000 under your seat. Everybody gets a free car, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But we're going to talk about a little bit. This church was broke. And some of us, we have gossip, we're suffering. And let's just be honest. Maybe you who are watching or you're here, you're just plain miserable. You're not happy. Maybe if you're being honest, you're depressed, borderline depressed. You have nothing to look forward to. We need to lean in and learn something from the reading today. The reading, the first point of if you're going to learn something is you need to remember that God has been faithful. What I'm asking for each one of us, including myself, is we need to have a little history lesson with ourselves. We need to go back in time in our memory. We need to visit the bad things, the ugly things, and the good things. Okay, the bad things are the things that have done been done to you in the past, and maybe even the sin that you committed that God has forgiven. And then go back to the times where God has been faithful and revisit those times. And you'll see, if you look at your story, if you can look at all the points in your story, you will see that God has been faithful all the way from salvation until now. He has been faithful from beginning to end. He never changes that. And how do I know that? Because in the middle of your battle, in the middle of your trial, isn't it hard to see God's faithfulness when you're in the middle of a storm? Why? Because there's rain, there's fog, you can't see what's in front of you. But all, if you had a 30,000 feet perspective and you're flying over and you can see that God not, He didn't wave you from the other side of the storm and go, come on, you can do it, right? He walked you through the storm with you. He doesn't just, see, I, if I'm, if I'm telling someone to go through a storm, I'm, I'm waving from my house and going, Come on, I don't want to get my hair wet, right? I don't want to get my shirt wet. I don't want to, I don't like rain. I grew up in rain, don't need it. You guys, come on. God goes, you know, I'm going to get my hair wet. I'm going in the middle of your storm because I am faithful. And so when you're going through your journey and your memory, look back to those moments because how much, how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but I will. It's easier to look back in the past and look at all the, bad stuff that happened to you, right? I can think about what's been done to me, what I've done, all the sin, all the ridiculousness, all the stuff in my past. It's easy to pinpoint those. But if you pause for just a moment and look in the past and you can identify those, but you can also see where God's been faithful. And why do I say that? Because if you can remain remindful of God's faithfulness in the past, you'll realize that he has always been faithful. And it will, it will help you to continue going through your trial if God is not allowing the trial to disappear right away, like in Smyrna. He didn't just disappear the whole thing. And so God literally does not change. He is the same, what, yesterday, today, and forever. Some of you guys have been reading your Bibles. He's the same, yes, he, he's predictable. I've talked with someone that says he's so unpredictable, he's so angry, he's unpredictable. I don't read that in the Bible. He's pretty predictable. He loves obedience, he hates sin, he judges sin. He goes to us and he goes, I have a plan. You go into you go through Jesus Christ and you're saved and you're gonna have a relationship. God never changes. He planned his the salvation of Jesus all the way back in Genesis. That's how much He doesn't change. Right? God said He was going to have the serpent's head be crushed. Right by the seed of the woman by Jesus, so God never changes, and the same God from the Old Testament is the same in the New Testament, and He's the same for you today, two thousand years later. Now I want you to notice at the beginning of the letter there are counterpoints, point counterpoint. First and the first and perfect. You guys pass. Some of you guys are like, first and second? First and home? I mean, what? Mariner's season is over, baseball's over, okay? First and last. Alpha and omega. That wasn't in there yet, but he goes, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I helped you with, uh. I was dead, but I'm alive, right? There's all these point counterpoints. I love it. But I want to focus on the first and the last. What does that mean? I want to say it right up front. What does it mean that God is first and last? It means that He knows everything. It means more specifically, He's eternal. He sees everything from beginning to end right away. He's above everything. He sees your situation. He sees your trial. He sees your tribulation. He even sees your very life from birth to death. He sees it all at once. Jesus knows the day you're going to die. I don't think I'd want to know myself. Because we're like, oh, it's getting closer. Oh, it's getting closer, even though that's true anyway. But I don't want to know. But here's a couple scriptures. Isaiah 44, verse 6. This is 740 years before Jesus. Isaiah 44, 6 says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer. Okay, this language towards God Almighty is very similar to who Jesus is, redeemer, king, Lord Jesus. He says this, the Lord of heaven's armies. He is the general of everything. What's he saying? I am the first and last. I, there is no other God than the next one. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 12. Listen to me, O family of Jacob, Israel, my chosen one. I alone am God. The what? The first and the, the first and the last. Right? That's, it's, I mean, I could have read a thousand scriptures that said this, by the way. Just look at any concordance. There's a lot of this. The next one is at the very end of Revelation. I thought it'd be fun to look at how the book ends. Close. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the A to the Z and everything in between. Okay? The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Listen, what am I trying to say here? we got to wait for the next one. Look at the next one. Revelation 1.8. This is in the very beginning of the book, too. It begins and ends. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's almost like Jesus wants you to know that he's the first and the last. I am the one who is. I am the one who always was. And I am the one who is to come. The Almighty One. What does that mean? He's mighty. Mighty. And he always was. He is. And he will always be. Listen, your life is a lot of times in turmoil. It's like a, it is a storm. You, 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 I mean, you're walking around life and there's tornadoes, not physically, maybe physically, but there are, there's a windstorm. You know, everything's blowing away. It is chaotic. There's chaos. It's unpredictable, right? Is your life unpredictable? There's a lot of things that are predictable. I can guarantee what tomorrow is going to be like. There's certain things I can guarantee what it's going to be like. But then there are things that I can't control. I can't control it in my family. I can't control it in my house. I can't control it in my work. There's just certain things that are uncontrollable. It is nice to know that there is someone. I don't care how things change around here. I do, but my human side says, please just remain the same. But there is someone, God, who always was, who is and who always will be. That's why he says I'm the first and the last over and over. Throughout the scripture, he says it over and over. I'm the first and the last. I'm the alpha and the mega. I, I know everything. I am eternal. What does that mean? God's perspective is infinitely better than mine. How many of us would disagree with that? How many of us would look at God's perspective and look at his ideas of how things should go? Admit it right now. His is better than yours. Your human side says, Because sometimes he does things and he allows things that you don't understand why. But God wants you to know in the middle of your trial, I remain the same. Faithful. I don't change. You can keep your eyes fixed on me and I will never change and you will always, I will lead you to where you need to go even if there's chaos in the world, even unto death. Because if you die... I'm going to give you the crown of life. I'm sorry, but having the best cup of coffee, it pales in comparison. Or having the greatest vacation. Or having the most money in the world. I always think it would be boring to have infinite money. You could buy anything you want. (laughs) How boring life would be. It really would. You're like, "I'd, I'd like to try it for a little bit. Maybe. But it'd get boring, right? But... If if I had infinite money, if I had the best vacation, if I had the best home, all of that compare it pales in comparison to Jesus Himself coming to me with the crown of life and going, victory, you crossed the finish line, well done, good and faithful servant, right? I I, I mean, it's easy for me to say. It would be so easy for me to say that from heaven but right now when you're in the middle of a battle. It's all just, in your mind, you're going, oh, I just, that's just talking points that we, that Christians make. And if that's your perspective, that's fine. I'm just trying, I I want you to convince yourself or allow the Holy Spirit to convince you that He knows what's best. I don't know why He allows the, uh, Smyrna Church to keep going through trials where some of them are going to prison. Most of those people are going to go, going to die. Because after 10 days in prison, they would, they would give you one last chance to deny Christ. And if you said, no, I don't, if you refuse, they will kill you. I had someone talk to me one time and they said, well, God's not going to be faithful to me because I haven't been really faithful to him that much in my life. Second 2 Timothy 2.13 is very clear. If we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. Like, here you go. Put that on. A, if you believe in tattoos, I don't have any tattoos. Put that right here. Doesn't give you permission to be unfaithful to God, by the way. Doesn't say that. But what it says is that there are times where you're being a human for just a moment. And God doesn't go, oh, Dwayne. Why? Because Jesus died for our sin. And that makes me want to go, you know what? I'm being stupid right now. I need to turn, I need to, I need to repent. I need to go back to Jesus. If we're unfaithful, He remains faithful. Why? Because He's faithful yesterday, He's faithful today, and He'll always be faithful. Period. Faithful is who God is. The second thing Jesus says in the letter is, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I, I, I read something that's fascinating about Smyrna. It is interesting how Jesus uses their, the language that each town would know. For example, Smyrna uh, has a wonderful history. They were a booming economic town right on the trade path to to uh, Greece and all that. I mean, they were on the trade path from, from Jerusalem all the way there. They were right there, but somewhere along the line, they didn't have a wood mill, but let's say they had a mill and the mill shut down. What happens to a small town when a mill shuts down for the most part? You start losing people. Okay, So what happened to Smyrna is they lost people. They lost the economy. There was no economy. They made no money. People fled. It became almost a ghost town. And then all of a sudden, that, we'll just call it a mill. The mill decided to reopen back up. And then people started moving back to them. And the economy was booming yet again. And so people from Smyrna, they, they, they literally would say, we were dead, but now we're alive. That's what they used to say. They were so proud of it they were proud of their town that we were we used to be dead now we're alive it was a is a source of pride then Jesus comes in he speaks to the people that would have known that phrase and he goes that's great that's a great testimony of your town's uh, uh comeback you know but i have a better i have i can top that me i was dead but now i'm alive why? Because Smyrna is just, if you look at Smyrna over there, there is some city, but the, the ruins of the actual town of that, what it's talking about, it's all, I want to go back there. That would be cool. There's all these columns and these Corinthian type columns, and it's, it would be awesome. There's a bunch, let's just be honest, a bunch of rock that's just sitting there in piles, but you can, you can imagine it. And, uh, so Smyrna, you know, what, the, the, it's, it's all rubble, but Jesus remains alive forever. He doesn't change. The God, the God of our, of our lives is always faithful. His economy doesn't fail. And I don't mean just financially. I mean everything. He, He does not change. Now, Jesus makes this statement. I know you're poor, but you're really rich. Now, the word for poor is an interesting one because in the Bible, there are two words for poor. For the majority, when he says, when when the Bible says poor, it means like working class poor, like, you know, paycheck to paycheck. You ever been paycheck to paycheck? That would be you poor. Okay, you get paid, and then you look at the check, and I've heard this over when I was at the store, and they're holding up the check and go, okay, that's gone already. You ever done that with a paycheck? Okay, it's gone already, even though it says X amount of dollars. So uh, for a lot of people in the Bible days, the church was poor, but they were paycheck to... It wasn't for lack of trying. They tried. They worked. They worked a tail off and they weren't. This church had a different word for poor. It was used twice. Jesus said it once. He said it, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. He used that term, poor in spirit. Then this one, he says poor. But what it means is this is the, this is the, uh, it literally mean, means the begging poor. It means the disabled poor, the maimed, the lame, the disfigured. You can't show up to work. I thought about that. I'm grabbing a 12-pack and I'm doing that and all of a sudden my arms just disappear or my legs or something like that. As a preacher, I lose my voice. I thought about that a few times. I can't show up to work then. I go up here and I'm preaching. I'm like, "Hmm." that's all I can say because that's, you know, yeah, I could do that. It's the same, but I i got to, look at this. This is important because Smyrna wasn't just poor. These people, this group of people, they literally were the outcasts of society. These people went to church. They couldn't keep the lights on. Yeah, I know they didn't have electricity back then. They couldn't rub, when they were taking the offering, the pastor was like, Because I'm working for Pepsi yet again. I don't do that. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't say that. Um, but they were a poor church. They were financially begging. They were beggars. Now I want you to think about the word beggar when it comes to a spiritual aspect. When it comes to salvation, when it comes blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? When I'm poor in spirit, when I go to God and I'm on my knees and I say, God, I'm begging you, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, he lifts you up. He says, you are forgiven because that's who, that's how we are spiritually. We are broke. And when Jesus says to this church, I know you're poor. I know you're you're lame. I know you're disfigured. I know you can't show up for work. I know you can't keep the lights on. I know that but you're really rich. What he's saying is this church was a very rich spiritual church and there's something I got to say that I don't really, it doesn't really help but this church was the was rich in things that matter and that's hard because I grew up in the United States of America. My family was middle class. We never went without food. There was a few moments that we had to go back to Ronald Reagan's government cheese time. We had to get cheese. Long line of cheese. People get a block of cheese. That wasn't that good. Okay, I remember it. But we never, other than that block of cheese, we never had to go get a free box of food. There's nothing wrong with that. We have. But when I was growing up, we didn't. This church was broke. Broke. But what mattered was that they were poor in spirit, which means that they understood their view of themselves with God. God loves them. They come begging, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm, I'm begging you. And we're, that's what we are. We don't come to God all proud and say, look, look at how what I've done. Look at what I've done for you, God. Look at all this. Look at the church. Look at all this stuff that I've accomplished, Lord. No. You go, Lord, it's all about you. You are the reason that I even exist. And if we say that, it's because we're, it's that way God can look at us and he goes, you know what? Poor church. You're rich. And they always say that you can't take the money with you, right? You go to heaven and you go, I got my wallet here. I got my phone. I got my video games. I don't know, whatever. I, I got everything. And you're going to go, no, you're going to have that. You could be buried with it. I saw this one time, this picture, this guy got buried in his car, in the ground. Whatever. I'm sure he's really enjoying it, but the reality is, we, as a church, we as Christians, we as Christ followers, and I'm saying this to myself, we need to be rich in the things that really matter. The things that you can take with you. The things that when you go to heaven, they're the things that last. Again, it's not, it's, it's not a, it's not a sin to have some money. It's not. Jesus never said, blessed are the poor. Cause a lot of people would say, I must be really blessed cause I have nothing. Doesn't say that. You have to add words to the Bible or take them out. Okay? It says, blessed are the poor in spirit where they know I am a beggar at the bread store of Jesus, of the bakery of Jesus, and I am a beggar. Lord, give me some bread. And he goes, gladly, gladly, because I earned it for you. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. That's why he said they are rich. Number two, remember God has been faithful. Number two, remember God is, is. Remember God is faithful. Good dramatic entrance right there, I like it. Remember, God is faithful. Verse 10. We're going to go back to it. Look at this. Verse 10. Remember, God is faithful currently. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Uh Uh-oh. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer for 10 days. But be faithful even unto death. And I, who I am there with you, I will give you the crown of life. See, Jesus is not trying to be mean here. See, he knew that they were going through rough seasons, and a, a rough season was going to continue. He knew they were going to die. He knew that they were not going to refuse him because they are a rich church. And when they don't, when they when they say, "I'm not denying Christ," you will be died by the sword. But Jesus goes, I'm telling you, I am faithful. Even if you die. I had another conversation with someone. To to live is Christ. To die is gain. So it's a good thing. So when these people are suffering, Jesus going, wait 10 days. It's going to be painful. It's going to be miserable, but I am faithful. And if you don't believe that, he goes, When even if you die, I'm going to give you the crown of life, eternal life. I'm going to give you eternal life. And if you're going through a trial right now, I want you know something. It might not end like you want it to, but your trial is going to end at some point. You're not going to have an eternal trial. I wish I could say that your trial would end today, right now as I'm speaking, and maybe it will. Pray that it does. Don't lose heart if it doesn't. Trust God. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful to the end. And He will give you the crown of life. Number three. Remember, God not only was faithful, is faithful. God will be faithful. But His faithfulness is not always going to look like what you think it's going to look like. You know, I was reading Acts chapter 12. It was interesting. Two things happen in Acts chapter 12. Let me make sure, yeah, Acts 12. Number one, James, the pastor of the church in, in, uh, Jerusalem, it says that he dies by the sword. Remember that? Right in the middle of that, right in the beginning of that chapter, it says that he dies. He gets martyred. We have it written in the Bible. A couple verses later, you have another person that gets, that is in prison. Peter, who God rescues him. And I read that this week going, now, is God faithful to one but not the other? So James dies by the sword. God wasn't faithful to him? God ignored him? I don't, I don't believe it. I know that Peter will die at some point really soon, but God chose for some reason, because he had more work for him to do, Peter, I'm going to rescue you. James, you're coming home. James, you're coming home. You're coming home, and it's now. And James, he could tell us if he were here, he'd say, you know what? Don't weep for me. Of course, it's been 2,000 years, but don't weep for me. That day that they drew the sword and I went home. I was with Christ, and I've been there since. That's a long time to be in heaven. Peter, he had to suffer for a few more years, a couple of years. He had to suffer for a little bit, however long it was. Another example I thought about Corey Tenboom. I read about her a long time, since I was first Christian she escaped the Nazi camp, but her sister didn't. So again, I look at two examples. I say, "Was God faithful to one and not the other?" No. No. Corey Tenboom has a story to tell the rest of her days. That's her reward, I guess, if you want to call it that. That's God's faithfulness there. But God's faithfulness to his sister, could he have rescued her too? Of course. But did he do it? No. Is he faithful? Yes. We can't control that. See, faithfulness, God is faithful, doesn't mean that it's everything's always going to go our way. Here's where I go wrong, and I've been wrong for um, a lot of my Christianity, is my view of God's faithfulness is hinged on the fact that everything's going well or not. If things are going well, God is good. God is faithful. Amen. Come on, people, let's do this. Come on. Let's get let's be faithful to God. God is good. But the moment I, I something happens, I'm like, God is good, I guess. I go in there, I'm, God is good, God is good. And then I come out and I'm like, hi, God is good. How you doing? Right? Like, it's phony. Some days it doesn't feel good. But I want. What I'm preaching to you about is the fact that God is always faithful. We need to be faithful even to the point of death. What does that mean? Till the end. No matter what happens. The the last little thing is what happens um, to the church in Smyrna. The pastor is a very well-known guy. You can look him up. His name was Polycarp. Polycarp was the pastor in Smyrna, and Polycarp was a disciple of John. John discipled him allowed him to be the pastor of Smyrna. And a couple years after this was written, Polycarp was arrested. He was tortured for 10 days because that was the normal time that they would arrest you for 10 days and give you a chance to renounce Jesus. He was burned at the stake and that wouldn't completely kill him. He was still preaching at the stake. Then three of them came to Polycarp and stabbed him over and over and over until he died. Polycarp, pastor of Smyrna, Continue to preach to the end. That means that he is faithful unto death. Polycarp was, and he never denied Christ. He's faithful unto death. What does that mean? There's two things I want us to get. Number one, if you don't get anything else, remember, God is faithful. But another important thing is don't give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Not yet, because God is running the race with you. God is running. I, I, I can, it's easy to, for the coaches to go. Hurry up, Joel! Hurry up! I remember running. I'm like, <sighs> and then my either my mom or someone would say, "You can run faster than that." I'm like, I want to pause. Easy for you to say. You're standing on the sidelines. You're full energy. I'm dying here, right? It, it, it's easy to say that. So the cool thing about life when you're going through trials, Jesus isn't. Now, there's a crowd, cloud of witnesses, and they're clapping you on. Easy for you to say you're in heaven. But Jesus, he's running right alongside you. You can do it. Don't give up. Remember, God will be faithful all the way to the end. Verse 10 again. Be faithful even if, you, even if you have to die, and I will give you the crown of life. Everybody say crown of life. This is not a king's crown. This is not a golden crown. Okay? You know, oh, king, you're king for a day. You're queen for a day. There you go. Here, wear your crown proudly. No, 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 no. This is a wreath that was at the end of any race. If you're running the race and you win, if you're second place, what they told me when I was second place, I was always like fourth or fifth or seventh or eighth. But if I was second, they would say, second's just the first loser. That's what someone said. I'm like, what? That's horrible. But if you're second place in a race, sorry, you don't get the crown. You don't get the wreath. But if you're first place, I know you're first place. Cause I saw that picture on Facebook. You were a young man, you and your brother. I'm like, whoa, you look like Steve Martin, by the way, back in the day. I'm sure you did great in when you ran. But when you get first place, what do you do? You got the crown and you put it, they put it over your head. And that is what that's what Jesus is saying here. If even if you die, this is what I'm going to give you. Yes, it's symbolic for life, for eternal life. But he's going. He goes. Well done, good and faithful servant. Here is the crown of life. You crossed the finish line. How do I know that? There's a couple of verses. We'll be done. I promise. I could not. I could not leave you guys without reading these verses. Second Timothy four. Remember, Paul's getting ready to die. Many people say that he is this close to death. I mean, he's talking about days or even hours. Second Timothy, he's it. He knows it's over. He goes, "I have fought the good fight," because I'm sure he hears them talking in the other room. I have kept the faith. Now a, a what? Crown. It's the same thing. It's a wreath. It's 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 a, it's a, it's a uh, an Olympic type of term. It's a track and field type of term. Okay, a crown is being held for me. For who? For Paul and for you. You'll see, where am I at in this? You'll, in a minute. A crown is being held for me. A crown for being right with God. The Lord, the judge who judges rightly, will give me will give the crown to me on that day. Not only to me, but to all those who have waited with love for him to come again. Who are faithful to the end. He wants to give you that. What does that even mean? That you're going in the presence of God like this. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. And he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Enter into my presence. Enter into my kingdom. You made it. And I personally, believe I'll take the crown and put it at his feet, but that could be because of a song. I don't know. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, right? But... I want to say as we close this that some of you guys are going through hard times. Some of you guys online are, you're you're going through rough times. And it's hard to go through hard times. I know, I, I understand, trust me. We've been through some hard times. This church has gone through hard times. But God is faithful. If you're going through a trial right now, the worst thing that you could do is to even say in your mind, this must mean that God's not really been faithful to me. Because the devil's going to want you to believe that. He's a liar. We need to have perspective, eternal perspective. That This world, it's, it's, it hurts to go through trials, but the reality is, in the grand scheme of things, if eternity exists, and it does, This is just a drop in the pan, just, and it's done. Just one drop from a spigot, just, and it's done. If that's the case, then we need to trust that Jesus is the first and the last. He's eternal, and he's faithful. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're faithful. Your faithfulness is true. Your faithfulness is yes and amen. You are God Almighty, and you are powerful. And we love you, Lord God, and you love us. And sometimes we go through rough times and rough seasons and it doesn't mean that you forgot about us. It doesn't mean that you forgot about the church in Smyrna. What it meant was that they were able to go into eternity with the crown of life because they remained faithful to the end unto death. And for us, help us to remain faithful even unto death. All the way to the end, Lord, help us to be faithful. We thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to take this to heart that you are faithful, yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. Wednesday, 7 o'clock, men right there, women, on the other side of the church building. God bless you.